copper outlaws driving their throbbing steel machines. Defiling whatever they touch. We want to be free to ride on machines without being hassled by the man. Yeah, we don't want nobody telling us what to do. We don't want nobody pushing us around. Hey, welcome back to Chopper Profits. I'm Mike. I'm your host, and tonight I have a local, a local hero with us. Uh, he runs a, a shop, owns a shop locally called Classic Cycles in Orange, California. As far as I know, he's uh, the British master at uh, oh, taking care of the British bikes. No pressure there. Yeah, no pressure. Uh, please welcome to the show, Tony Dunn. Hi, everybody. You know, I, I've been to your shop more times than I can remember, um, just because one. Uh, I met your daughter-in-law, uh, and then I then I met your son, mm-hmm. and then uh, and then I saw the bikes, and I think the bikes really kind of. I, I'm normally I'm a Harley guy, but I appreciate motorcycles across the board. I'm an enthusiast, so I caught wind of a uh, there was a BSA chopper that you had there at one point. It was all kind of rusted, mm. and um, I don't. I might have been a customer's bike. Oh, everything's a customer's okay. bike. Okay. Yeah, there's a Honda Trail 90 in there. That's my bike. Nice. Yeah, and then everything <laughs> else, anything that's worth money is not mine. Okay. That's the way it works. Right. If it was worth money and mine, it would be sold. <laughs> <laughs> so none of, what about the bikes in your showroom? Nothing. Nothing. Absolutely wow. nothing. So the customer's trying to potentially sell well, their bikes. Well, my theory is, why should I even bother to own a bike when there's 75 to 100 bikes in there that are just perfect <laughs> right. to ride? And, right. I, and I have to ride them as part of my job anyway. Right. So why bother owning one? You can't let, you know, bad gas build up. No, you, gotta... that, you know, it's my duty to, to make sure that doesn't <laughs> <Right>. happen. <laughs> I like it. How can I get a job there? No, well, <laughs> you know, you have to pay us to work. Oh, and, darn yeah, it. Yeah, that's the only way we make money. We lose money on every job. We just try to make it up in volume. Right. And there, you know, he's not lying. There are a lot of motorcycles in his shop at, at any given time. And um, I think that's probably because of what we were talking about a little bit beforehand in that um, I would gather that there's not too many British mechanics maybe in Orange County. Oh, if there was, please call me. 714. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good thing to kind of be in that niche market uh, in that uh, there's not a lot of people who work on, on BSAs or Triumphs or Nortons. Mm-mm. and. No. And you're that guy. Well, all you have to have is common sense. A, a motorcycle is a motorcycle. It doesn't matter if it's Czechoslovakian, Japanese, British, American, whatever. Common mechanical sense bridges the the whole nationality. So that's it. It's not a, it's not rocket science. I'd like to, people to think that, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, because I charge extra. <laughs> sure. Um, well, let's uh, let's talk about how you got to that point. I mean. I, I know from talking with other guests and then just my own life, I've kind of had this hacker men- mentality in that, you know, I see something, I want to know how it works, I take it apart, and then I end up putting most of it back together. Oh, that's my story and right then, there, yeah. So how did, how did you, uh, as a as a kid, what was your life kind of like? Uh, we'll, we'll get to the point where you get to where you, where you are, where you are now, but I want to know what it was like, you know, growing up in the, the Dunn household. Well, the garage was my room. Mm-hmm. Um, everybody else had the house and everything else the garage was my room tools were a treasure um i anything that i didn't understand i took apart Mm. and i usually killed it but um (laughs) i took it apart because i had to figure out what what made it work right 
um, when you start getting into the solid state transistor circuits and stuff like that, obviously it, it was you know beyond my comprehension. But I took apart every single broken uh, appliance, you name it, wash machines, TVs, you know, toasters. Um, and then my dad said, "Hey, um, maybe you'd like a motorcycle." So <laughs> nice. And and that started it. How old were, How old were you when he said that? Sixth grade, whatever age wow. that is. Yeah. Okay. I think, uh, let's see, my oldest daughter's nine. She's in fourth grade, so maybe 12. Yeah, maybe 12. 13. Yeah, and my brothers all gave me tools because they could see that, uh, you know, by giving me a tool, they they fostered the, the you know, the, the desire to do that. So That's awesome. So you, you kind of had an encouraging environment around you. Oh, yeah. Yeah, well, it's like any family. You know, you, you should um, nourish the whatever the interest is everybody has a special interest in life you yeah. just got to find it and do it so and mine turned out to be motorcycles that's good and hot rods and stuff like that anything mechanical so and not everybody that i've that i've spoken to has had that kind of nurturing environment you know with a, a family you know they either grow up in a, a family where maybe the mom or the dad isn't there or they don't have any brothers or sisters or their brothers and sisters are checked out so that's i think it's pretty awesome well i had five brothers and they, they all had cars mm. and i was a car freak i loved cars i loved anything i knew every car i knew every what made it work everything and they would come home with a broken car and i would fix it at age 12 13 14 right on you know, whatever so um so you were valuable to them oh yeah yeah <laughs> mm-hmm. that's awesome yeah what um so you get the motorcycle around sixth grade or so mm-hmm. and then a honda super 90 awesome yeah i got beat in a race by a five horsepower taco mini bike <laughs> that was a shameful day <laughs> was there anything on the line for that race uh pride neighborhood yeah. pride yeah i i basically i just pushed that honda home and said i you know i've lost tail between your legs yeah oh yeah it was terrible <laughs> that little five horsepower briggs and stratton smoked me wow yeah they were fast hmm so so after it smoked you then what was your outlook on motorcycles then? well i went and got a yamaha <laughs> gotta I, make it fast. I, I cut everything off of that bike that it didn't need and uh and i beat him nice yeah but you know he claimed oh it was 80 cc's you know and then i go well the other one was 90 CCs. technicalities yeah so. <laughs> so okay so um let's then talk about uh you know how Maybe in your teenage years, what was maybe the first car that you actually owned that you drove? Maybe like in high school. Or... Oh, my dad bought me a '55 Chevy two-door okay. wagon. It was cool. It was a, a V7. Hmm. Yeah. When I got it home, I wondered why it has this huge miss in it, and I <laughs> sorry tore it apart. And there was seven pistons in the V8, and there was two rod end caps to take up the space on the on the missing for the missing piston. It was kind of one of the. It was a. Uh... It was a future-looking uh, economy uh, green-type motor, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah it, was, it was all about horsepower. If I had explained it, you wouldn't know anything about yeah. it. <laughs> it's a racing thing. <laughs> yeah. So did you end up fixing it? Or oh, did yeah. You, oh, did yeah. you drive it? Oh, yeah. I drove it all through high school, traded it. By the time I got out of high school, I think I had 43 cars hmm. um, that were... I had a list in my wallet of all the cars that I owned. And it was, wow. I had 43 cars. I kept buying one and selling it or trading it and stuff like that and uh and then it 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 got worse as i got older i used to go to a party get all drunk and come home in a different car and go oh what did i do (laughs) sounds like some of the stories my pops has told me so what uh let's talk about that then what uh maybe uh what was your what was your most fruitful uh trade or 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 buying 
purchased? Maybe a car that you'd wanted for a while. And oh, um, I bought a Volkswagen because I Volkswagens I still think to this day are one of the coolest cars ever made. They're one of the greatest non-conventional cars ever mm-hmm. ever designed. Anyway, so I bought this Volkswagen and I traded it for a, an Austin Healey Bug Eye Sprite that the rings were so bad that it ran on pure STP and it still smoked. Wow. So, but it was clean. It had, you know, bitch and paint, bitch and wheels on it and everything. I drove it to work one day and a guy says, Hey, those are cool. And I said, yeah, they are. <laughs> and he had a, uh, 64 Plymouth with a built 383 and a four speed in it. Mm. And I said, Ooh, that car's cool. And he says, well, let's, you know, trade. Said, yeah, you got it. And then I traded that for a 34, three window coupe. And mm. that started my hot rod days. And, uh, you know, then I started into hot rod. I went through like 30 years of building hot rod. Wow. And that was always fun. So, now, was it, because we'll, we'll also get to talking about the shop at some point, but um, was this pre-shop? Oh, yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. I was uh, in the Army. I was, okay. you know, at 17, 18, 19 years old, whatever. Um, so. And what year was that about? 71. Okay. And I think we were talking, we were talking about a little bit beforehand, kind yeah. of draft of Vietnam was happening. Yeah. There was a lottery and my number was 70, 70 something. And they were taken up to 240. Wow. So I was, you know, I was going to go and I didn't have a college deferment. So, you know. So what did, did you end up actually going over to Vietnam? Or no, you... I dodged that bullet many okay. times. They kept saying every time I got out of the school, mm-hmm. you know, they made me take an intelligence test and they said, Hey, this guy's, you know, got a lot going on, I guess for the average drafty mm-hmm. and um so they kept offering me school. he's being humble by the way <laughs> <laughs> uh, they, they they would offer me every time i graduated from school they'd say well here's the deal you can go to vietnam or you can go to this other school and I, damn that's tough I, I guess i'll go to the other school <laughs> yeah. i want to be all that i can be you know right right <laughs> so um anyway i kept i stayed i was in the army for three years and two and a half years of it i was in school okay so i admit that i you know dodged that but you didn't you didn't yeah. dodge it like most people think most people think you know dodge draft dodging no you dodge it you actually signed up you went to the army well i had to do that up. it was you know if you were drafted mm-hmm. um actually what happened was they walked in this huge room in downtown la where all the inductees were sitting there everybody's drafted and they said make a line in the middle and and it divided it in half and they said everybody on the right hand half goes the army everybody in the left hand half is a marine okay and i was over in the left hand half but i had a pass to the army and they said excuse me i uh, i have a pass to the army get your ass over there you right. maggot you know and all this crap <laughs> so anyway that's uh, not a nice welcome no it wasn't it was <laughs> just you know it, it, in hindsight it was a what was coming so yeah but uh, i didn't dodge the draft but i did dodge vietnam yeah but by then Everybody knew Vietnam was a loser deal. Yeah. So that was a heavy, a really heavy thing. I know a lot of our listeners are pretty young, um, you know, so they may not remember or know that. I mean, I I wasn't born until 73, mm. but I remember learning about Vietnam, not through education, but through, you know, family and friends. So. Yeah, Vietnam, I lost a lot of good friends and relatives and stuff like that. Um, and it was a giant waste, but that's a, yeah. that's a downer subject. That could take up a whole oh, two yeah. and a half podcast yeah. probably. <laughs> So you're you, you're in the army. Uh, you've gone through all the schooling. You get out of the army, and where does life take you? Oh man, let me think about that. Um, <laughs> oh, got out of the army, drove home, had nothing to do, and um, I got into my brother had a, a crane truck, 
Mm-hmm. And he said, hey, you know, we can make money doing electric sign work. And I said, okay, let's do it. So that started like a 35-year working in the electric sign business, which yeah. is okay because that fostered my artistic um you know, side of me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I always liked good lettering, good layout, good artwork. Um, you know, I, I always enjoyed that. And then also the electrical end of it um, satisfied my um, mechanical mm-hmm. needs. So it and was, it's a pretty niche market too. I mean, I can imagine most signs nowadays, you know, if, if you get something custom made, obviously they have to manufacture it. But if it's just, you know, most people throw up a, a a banner that's printed well, that, on uh, vinyl. By the way, there is a banner in front of the shop. Yeah. I mean, you know, the, the shoemaker's kids are barefoot, by the right. way. Right. <laughs> the guy who made signs for 35 years yeah. oh, puts yeah, up a exactly. vinyl banner. Well, and I got a lot of friends with sh- sign shops, too. I just don't want to owe them any favors. Right. You know, yeah, there's that, so, too. Um, anyway. But, but uh, it was a niche market, I can imagine, at that at that time. I mean, oh, everybody yeah. needed signs for their businesses. Yeah. Well, and, we, we did a lot of signs for Disneyland and, and high-end mm-hmm. sign stuff like that. And that was fun. I enjoyed that. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and then later on, I hoard out, which is typical. <laughs> I got into electronic message boards, oh, okay. which are giant TV screens like at all the stadiums and stuff. Right. About half the stadiums in Southern California put up all the uh, electronic t- uh, visual you know, video screens. I, I don't think that's wearing out. You took care of your family. Well, that's what exactly what I had to do. I had to <laughs> right? take, Yeah, exactly. So... It probably paid better than just making, you know, well, metal. Well, it, and... it allowed me to build hot rods. So, you, you know, go. there you go. Yeah. Um, and motorcycles. Yeah. yeah. What I discovered early on was, hey, I can only get two hot rods in a two-car garage, but I can get like 13 motorcycles <laughs> in there. So <laughs> Math, people. Yeah. Basic math. Well, and, you know, and <laughs> what it is is, is uh, everybody always asks me, if you could have one car, one motorcycle the rest of your life, what would you have? And that's, that's a horrible question. That is. Um, motorcycles and cars, I would rather have a new piece of shit every week yeah. than the best motorcycle <laughs> for the rest of my life. Right. I, I don't want that. I want, you know, I love taking a piece of crap motorcycle and making it a hundred times better. It still may be a piece of shit when yeah. you're done, but it's a hundred times better than it was when you got it. Right. And that's where the fun is. Yeah. So I would agree. You know, that's just, just me. You know, some guys will say, oh, I've got to have a Vincent. You know, I want a $100,000 motor. I don't want that. Yeah. Uh, you know, I've drug home a lot of motorcycles from that were thrown away. So, and those, awesome. those are some of my favorites. And you brought them back to life. Yeah. Yeah. There's a, I've heard people say, um, just since we're talking about motorcycles, I've heard somebody say, I can't remember who, but they were talking about how sometimes a motorcycle, you know, uh, someone will get a motorcycle like a shovel head, you know, and, and they'll, um, uh, complain about it nonstop. Oh, it's a piece of junk. Oh, it's always breaking down on me. And then you have another guy that's got the same exact setup, you know, same, maybe same year, maybe a little bit different stance or whatever, a different front end, but basically the same bike and the thing runs great. And uh, I've heard the comment that, um, you know, some bikes just don't want to be had by their owners. You know, there's, yeah. there's some bikes that are comfortable with their owners and just like a woman. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's some women that just don't go with certain guys and they'll go fine with somebody else. Yeah. And, and you just got to say, bless you. I'm on my way. Just <laughs> keep moving. That's the secret to being happy in life. Don't there be stagnant go. with motorcycles. I, I hope my wife's not listening. Women, <laughs> women, motorcycles or anything. I've been married for 37 years now. So. And stagnant could be, you know, a or I guess saying that you keep moving in a marriage doesn't mean that you keep moving from exactly. woman to woman. Yep. Oh no. You keep romance in your wife. And yep. yep. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, love and romance and motorcycles and everything 
um, are kind of all the same thing. Yeah. So. That I've heard again, someone else say that love is actionable. I think maybe we talked about that the other night at your shop. You know, that's um, things that are virtuous are, are actionable. Mm-hmm. You know, versus the the feeling of lust and romance. So yeah, and here's the odd thing is 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 you know people ask me this all the time, and I, it it screws them up when I tell them the truth. Um, I really don't like to ride motorcycles. Hmm. Uh, I like to work on motorcycles. I hate to, you know, if I want to go to somewhere, I want to be in the back of a Lincoln town car. I don't want to be in a friggin' <laughs> motorcycle. Right. So, I, you know, I've been on motorcycles. I've ridden Las Vegas. I've ridden all over. By the time you get there, you're beat. Yeah. I would rather be in the back of a limo. Yeah. But I love working on motorcycles. I love, I love, one of the challenges to a motorcycle is how can you get everything into a really, really small package? Hmm. How can you get all that stuff into something really small? So, um, you know, to be able to go 60 mile, 80 mile an hour down the freeway mm-hmm. on something that's weighs 300 pounds. Yeah. You know, that's, that's a kind of a magic thing. So I can see, I think that's, um, I can see where that's, you know, especially the people I follow, a lot of people I follow on Instagram that build, um, they're always, you know, trying to get either more power, mm-hmm. um, or hide, you know, hide things like hide, hide hiding thing is, is just a science. I love yeah. hiding things. Yes. I saw, um, Gosh, I was working on a buddy's bike the other day. He bought this used Honda, uh, mag, I think it's a Magma V30. Mm-hmm. Never worked on one in my life. I've seen them, but uh, he brought it over, and I believe it actually uses part of the frame, the lower part of the frame, for cooling. And I thought that was the strangest thing I'd ever seen. I mean, you know, I'm still young and yeah. working on bikes, but... Well, that's that's where an engineer will step in and say, "Hey, uh, I got to do something with this, and yeah. I'm going to put it down here." You know? We don't need all that tubing; just put it in the frame. Well, the same engineer <laughs> though puts all the electronics underneath what should have been the gas tank, <laughs> right. covers it with a fake gas tank, and then puts the gas tank under the seat. You right? Know? But whatever. That's why you engineers know? shouldn't yeah. build bikes. No, that engineers—they shouldn't build anything. Even a roll of toilet paper can be screwed up by <laughs> right. an engineer. Yeah, what, it's like those people that put rolls of toilet paper. It's supposed to go over the falls, not the other way. Yeah, it's it does drives work. me crazy. Yeah, yep. my wife does that, and she's probably listening to this podcast. <laughs> All right, so let's uh, let's talk a little bit about then. Um, you know, obviously, you spent some time building hot rods and working in the sign industry, and you know, doing a trade. You know, it uh, taught me welding. It taught me electrical. It taught, you know, there's a lot of you know a lot of crossover talents that come from painting. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, all kinds, of, you know, I'm a pretty decent, as long as I have a, a you know, a, a good meal in my stomach and a, and a, and a beer, I'm a pretty good pinstriper. Mm. Um, but pinstriping is like welding. If yeah. you're not practiced at it, you're not any good at it. Yeah. So you can't, a guy that hasn't pinstriped in two weeks, picks up a brush, that line's pretty shaky. Hmm. So, um, for, any, all, anyway. for all you pinstripers out there, yeah. keep practicing. Oh, Stay yeah. on it. Yep, exactly. And, uh. Welding's the same way. If you're not practiced at welding, you're shaky. Yeah. So uh, it's it's like everything. But um, I enjoy, and one of the things that there's, when it comes to motorcycles, you know, everybody has a socket set. So everybody can take an engine apart. And, you, you know, if you think about it, you can put it back together. Mm-hmm. But then all of a sudden... They come up to electrical and they go, "Oh my yeah. God, it's some voodoo science! I can't understand it. I'm, I'm just, you know." So I get, I'd say a good seventy to eighty percent of the work at the shop is electrical. Nice. Um, and fortunately, with British bikes, 
it uh, it's it is voodoo electrical. Is it? It's <laughs> yeah. magic. Well, I mean, you know, the Prince of Darkness, Lucas, and all the jokes. Right. You know, right. you know, there's three positions on a Lucas switch. There's off, smoke, and flicker. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. I don't even know what a Lucas switch is. To be honest with you, yeah, every every everything on a British bike is made by Lucas Electrical. Lucas, okay, the Prince of Darkness. Awesome. You know, and uh, so. Lucas is short for Lucifer, apparently. <laughs> yeah, actually, I think it is. If you looked up, <laughs> that's that's awesome. See, I'm gonna get some. I'll have some good British jokes to tell. Oh yeah, there's some good ones. <laughs> um, so most of your business then, or a good a good portion, is electrical then. Yes. Wow. Yeah, and that seems to stump most people. Yeah. Um, so, uh, you know, they, they think of, oh, that's a positive ground. How come the bike doesn't shock me when I touch it? Well, you mm. know, you're, because you're an idiot. That's why, <laughs> you know, and God said, I'm going to spare this idiot. I yeah. don't know, you know, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> well, it's, you know, it's, I, I think the way of motorcycles and electrical, it's not gotten easier. I mean, you look at everything that's out there now being oh, made. It's, yeah. It's you know, incredible. You've got a computer on board. Yep. You've got, I deal with that with my bike right now. You know, to do anything, I've got to always consider, okay, I've got this ECM, I've got this, you know, mm-hmm. I've got this thing all wired and runs through. Every connection probably crosses each other at least, you know, twice in the bike, and it's frustrating to work on. Well, solid-state circuitry is a, is a magic of its own. Yeah. If you're not a uh, – it helps to be a computer guy. Hmm. Um, but uh, oftentimes a motorcycle gets um, – hit or something and the wire loom gets cut mm-hmm. uh it can be a total mm-hmm. because it you know you're looking at a $3,500 motorcycle and it's going to take $3,000 to put a new wire loom in it hook everything up at 90 bucks an hour you know that's so the bike is a total because of you know a couple of cut wires just the sheer cost yeah, yeah. and then you know you you open up the wire loom there's 36 wires in there and they're the bitchinest colors in the world and you're going <laughs> oh my god this is way over my well it isn't really you just sometimes you can't see the forest through the trees right so, um, you just sit down and consider it a personal challenge and the, the, uh, reward of going through it. And if it doesn't come out perfect, it comes out better. And mm-hmm. that's, you know, better is perfect. And so, at least you learn something. Yeah, exactly. So it's, uh, it is what it is. I love it. I love the fact, um, you know, that when people give up on something, mm-hmm. you know, and they bring it over. You know, I, I see it every once in a while, and I don't like to say, oh, you're an idiot, and this is what you did wrong, but, yeah. you know, uh, I do, you know, I do actually try to teach people sometimes, so. Well, and that's, it's interesting that you say that, because I was going to actually segue into, um, you know, you do offer a lot of assistance for folks, and, and there's some that are listening to this podcast that may or may not know, Um I don't know what your name is on. Oh, it's Tony the Torch or Tony D Torch on on Chop Colt. Oh, and on Jockey Journal, Chop Colt, Brit Bike Forum, and okay. all these things. So, so Tony does do a lot of. Uh, I don't want to say assistance works, more like educating. Well, I can't be in Ohio to help some guy, and, right. and um, so I try to help as much as I can. However, the second most frustrating thing in the world, besides being married, which yeah. is, um, <laughs> is doing technical assistance over the internet yeah i don't type that very well if i could pick up the phone i might be able to help you but oh it's just horrible you type a message up and 30 minutes later you get a response there that would just takes forever you know it's it's true test of patience Uh, (laughs) i try to help whenever i can i mean there's a lot of guys um that are in little towns in in uh, illinois and ohio and stuff that haven't got a british shop Mm -hmm. that um and there, and you know what this? It's sad. Some kids 
um, they don't have uncles and, and, and dads and brothers and stuff like that. They help them yeah. through these things. And, um, you know, so I try to help them. And those, you know, I think that's not only a, that's a very admirable thing to do. You know, I'm not trying to draw attention to you to say like, pat you on the back. Great job. I wish I could deposit it in the bank. (laughs) (laughs) True. Yeah. True. But you know, it's, it's almost a, it's a different currency. It's a currency of respect and and value. You know, people meet you, maybe, maybe somebody that you've helped for the first time gets to meet you or someone that you've helped uh, previously. That happens. They they come into the shop and they say, I'm this guy from the internet. And I go, Oh yeah, well, I wish I remember, but I don't. (laughs) But, uh, I had this, dang lucas switch <laughs> yeah well it's uh it, it is there is a certain amount of satisfaction just with helping people so mm-hmm. um you know it's for that reason and i sit down at night and i watch tv and i play and uh, i answer questions on the computer uh so it's not a big deal you know it's uh and we do actually you know a lot of guys have a um a loyalty because of that uh, they can call and order parts from anywhere they want, mm-hmm. and yet they'll call us and order parts because I help them through something. So it does come back to you, you know. That's true. That's it's, there's truth in that. I mean, there, that's one reason why I honestly why I've come back to your shop to buy multiple things, you know. And they're granted they're not motorcycle parts, but they're accessories. Yeah, you know, gloves yeah. and helmets and things like that. I I value good customer service and solid people, and uh, you know, I'd rather walk into a place where you know, maybe the people aren't, um, they're, they're more welcoming and more, um, what's the word hospitable, Yeah. you know, and they may not have all the brands or they may not have all the things I'm looking for, whatever it may be, the part I'm even looking for, but they're willing to help and go out of their way. Yeah. And that's, that's what I got from, from coming to your shop. Well, I mean, uh, I, the, my theory is, and I could be wrong, mm-hmm. um, is you don't, if you do something for profit, you're a pimp. Um, you know, I do something because I enjoy it. If, even if I didn't, if I didn't have rent to pay, I wouldn't even charge people. Hmm. Um, but I do things, you know, people come in, I fix their bike, I charge them for it, um, because I have rent to pay, but I would do it if they didn't have the money, I'll do it for free. And I used to do that all the time when I was working out of my garage, my son and I used to build bikes out of the garage. Mm -hmm. That's how the shop got started. And a guy would come in and say, I, you know, I can't get this done. I can't figure this out. And I'd do it for him. And, and he'd say, well, what do I owe you? And I'd say, uh, you know, what do you think it's worth? And he'd say, a hundred bucks. And he, I don't have it this week. And I said, you know what? Take the bike. And I never got burned. Hmm. Never got burned. If you give a little bit, um, I've never been burned. So There's wisdom for you. All you guys who are currently working on bikes out of your garage and helping your buddies out. And Now, your you buddies know. will burn you. <laughs> 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 Nobody will burn you like a buddy. True. <laughs> or True. a brother. Right. But, uh, no. The, I'll pay you next week. Yeah. Yeah, I got that one. <laughs> <laughs> I think we all have at some point. So, you know, what's what's crazy about, um, I mean, the story, you know, we're talking about all the work that, you, that you've that you done and do. And um, you've got quite a large family yourself. And, My personal family? Yeah. Oh, yeah. That was the other thing I was good at. And, and doing this, you know, while being a dad and a husband. Oh, um, yeah. I mean, that's well, eight, eight children, right? No, I have nine children. Or nine children. Yeah, okay. I have uh, eight daughters and one son. Wow. And uh, most of my daughters have worked at the shop. My son and I are partners at the shop. He mm-hmm. actually owns 50%. Um, and my wife works there. My daughter-in-law works there. Um, it's a family shop. Yeah. Um, and that's because I can't fire them. <laughs> <laughs> I can, no, I the rumor is I'm kind of a dick to work for. <laughs> that's uh, 
Was that? I think your daughter was saying that the other day. Yeah, well, you know, it's okay to be a dick and a dad, but you know, a dick and an employer is not a good thing. (laughs) That usually ends up in lawsuits. Oh yeah, they're workers' comp again. Right. (laughs) No. (laughs) Well, how did how hard was that, and and how did you maintain you know taking care of your of your business when you were working? uh, You know, whether it was doing signs or um, or running the shop, and then you know being a, a father at the same time was that a difficult balance Did no um no i mean all the kids grew up around motorcycles they mm-hmm. all did they all grew up around the garage smelling like gas um and me smelling like gas yeah um and that was perfectly normal to them um you know my theory is i guess um you can raise a family, you can do whatever you want, you can make your your life, your business, and all that stuff. As long as you're honest about everything, mm. you'll never have anything to be apologetic about. Um, so my kids all grew up in a motorcycle shop. They all grew up, you know, uh, tools and stuff like that. I could fix anything in the house, anything, in, you know, anything there was. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess I was okay as a dad because they don't hate me. So... <laughs> But um, that's good. Yeah, that's a good testimony. No, I mean they're you know they're all good kids. You know mm-hmm. I got lucky on that. So, so, so tell us about um, a little bit about your involvement now in the current motorcycle culture because there seems to be since I since I've come into this a couple of years ago, and maybe it was just me coming into it. I mean I'm, I'm I'm positive it was already there, but it seems over the last couple of years that there's been this kind of rise or this surge of like people buying motorcycles, whether they be brand new or buying used bikes. And, um, and then with, um, like we, we spoke about this the other night with born free, you know, going from born free one to two and now born free six. And, and for the people that normally listen to this podcast, I think born free always comes up, but that's mostly, it's not because I'm getting paid to talk about born free. It's because it seems to be like the premier motorcycle show. Well, the, the whole thought about born free was originally supposed to be the anti show show. Mm Mm-hmm. That was the whole foundation of Born Free. When Davis and Grant came up to me and said, hey, we want to have this show. We want everything to be free. We want it to only be about motorcycles. We don't want any attitudes. We don't want any, right. you know, and uh, and that was the, the whole, you know, theory of Born Free. And uh, and now it's, it is so huge. Well, uh, it's like, it's like real life though. When you got to pay rent on a shop, you know, you have to start charging something, yeah, right? Yeah. Well, it, there were so many people last year that mm-hmm. it, it can no longer be enjoyed as a one day event. So that's the reason why it, they're going to actually have to charge for it. So, uh, and it makes sense. I mean, you know, I, I think that I don't think it's going to affect attendance. I mean, no. in, given that, you know, people are going to go, Oh, they're charging. I'm not going to go because it's that one time a year that you get to come and, mm-hmm. and, you know, see a lot of bikes that you only get to see either online or in a magazine, or if you know the person directly. Yeah. So, um, but tell us a little bit about your involvement, like early on. Uh, well, early, I mean, the born free one was at our shop parking lot. Hmm. Uh, and we had no idea how many people were going to show up. And the deal was, you know, Mike and, and Grant came over and they said, Hey, we want to do this show. And it's, we figure it's going to cost about this much. And uh, is it okay to have it in your parking lot? I said, yeah, okay, fine. And they said, it's going to cost a little money. And I said, yeah, okay, fine. So I chipped in, I think, three or 400 bucks. And it was supposed to be free beer, free food, free everything. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And by 11 o'clock, we ran out of beer. So I sent my one of my daughters down with 200 bucks more to buy more beer. That lasted maybe an hour. <laughs> wow. um, the taco lady was, was, she, it was kind of those things where, um, what is the biblical story of seven days oil, you know, <laughs> yeah. of, you know, that deal. She, she made, was overwhelmed. Oh yeah. And I mean, every, and then there was, you know, you know, we were we were just so overwhelmed by the crowd that showed up, mm-hmm. uh, and you know, a credit to Mike and Grant about promoting the show, obviously. Mm-hmm. But um, there was rumored to be like 500 motorcycles there and a thousand people. Wow! And my daughters were all the security. <laughs> <laughs> they were trying to, oh no, 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 don't run! Oh well, whatever. <laughs> yeah, don't park in here. No, yeah, you can't. oh yeah, it was never mind. But it was <laughs> it was fun. Uh, and then then immediately. You know, uh, they came back and said, hey, uh, we kind of, you know, didn't expect that to happen. We're going to have to go to a larger venue next year. And, yeah. you know, and just and then the year after that, we're going to have to go to a larger venue. And one of these days, they're going to have to rent the desert. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> that would actually be awesome. It would be. Yeah. I'll throw that out there. Born so. free in the desert <laughs> yeah. for a week. Yeah. We own the desert. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's pretty awesome. So you actually, I mean, you got to see it at its very infancy, mm-hmm. you know, and, and kind of see the culture. So what, it, kind of, what are your thoughts about that? I mean, you've, you've seen, I would say, you know, multi-generational now, at least two, mm-hmm. I'm going to say at least two, and I'm not calling you old by any means, mm-hmm. but you're experienced. You've oh, seen, thank you. you've yeah. seen multiple <laughs> culture or multiple, uh, decades here of motorcycle culture oh yeah kind of well there was a while that motorcycles almost died Mm. uh and uh only i remember uh when i got back from overseas in 1980 i went down to buy a brand new shovel head uh and an 80 shovel head's a piece of crap (laughs) uh, (laughs) anyway that's what i wanted but um those you know i mean yamaha had uh, yamaha had bikes and honda had bikes and and bikes were just um nobody wanted them hmm. you know nobody liked him nobody was customizing arlen ness you know was doing his thing and and he was off in la la land and you know in the beginning arlen ness was a talent that mm-hmm. guy was really a talent those diggers that he built out of sportsters pure art those are cool um and then the fame and fortune got to him um and and that happens to everybody you know yeah. jesse james is a talented builder and then, you know, everybody, you can say that. You think there's something to say for, um, I guess this would go for any type of um, realm of work, but when you're limited on funds mm-hmm. and you have a bunch of time, and uh, or maybe you don't have a bunch of time, but you're limited on funds for sure and resources, you you really make do with what you have and you, man, you end up with something cool. Whereas if you Well, have, that's where the best artwork comes from hmm. is – is the guys that say, oh, you know, I found this doorknob and I think it would make a neat mount for my sissy bar. Yeah. And so I'm going to cut it and weld it on there. You know, now if you had a CNC machine and you could have a CAD CAM guy design it, that's cool. Yeah. But if you take a doorknob and cut it and make it into that, um, the Rube Goldberg or whatever you want to mm-hmm. call it, um, the grassroots motorcycle building, which is where Born Free gets its uh, foundation from. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the guys that... That like, oh, I almost had it finished and I'm going to ride it anyway to Born Free. It's got no paint on it, whatever. Yeah, you know? yeah. And um, that's where um, that's where I wanted to see, you know, motorcycles go and everything is is to uh, the garage builders. So when you then when you went down to buy a bike, when you went down to buy that shovel head, mm-hmm. you know, was there I'm guessing there had been guys out there building that in the garage still. 
there, but all, everybody building Harleys was an outlaw. Mm. See, I got in. I was hanging around with a well-known club, mm-hmm. um, and those guys were talented. Um, you know, it was they were talented builders, and they built only outlaw motorcycles, and they were completely chastised because, you know, they, they were what they were. What was the what was the style when you say outlaw motorcycle? Just for everybody that's listening, what what would that define? Well, I mean, one of the most impressive ones that that I helped build was uh, they were all panheads. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there was shovels, and you know, a shovel was a brand new bike back mm-hmm. then. Um, so there was pans and knuckles and, and everything else. Nobody really wanted the flatheads because they didn't. Uh, it was a very low RPM bike, mm-hmm. but you could build a, a a knuckle that'll run. You can build a pan that'll run, but. Um, you know, uh, the digger style was in mm-hmm. low with a little bit of a raked front end, uh, you know, a set of American 12 spoke mags in the back, uh, you know, a 21 in the front, um, you know, minimal, uh, anything, uh, you know, it was, it was kind of a, a clean, almost a hot rod, hmm. uh, of a motorcycle. Now, would you, would you say that was across the board? Like as no. far as the one presenter clubs are, where did the different oh, yeah. locations, like let's say San well, Francisco, oh, yeah. have their oh, own? Oh yeah, NorCal had their their thing. San Francisco had their thing. Um, Southern California definitely had a style. The East Coast bikes, you could spot those things a hundred hundred yards away. You, hmm. uh, an East Coast bike always looks like, and there's nothing wrong with it. It was just a different style. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yes, there are there are. Um, territorial designs mm-hmm. um so uh you know and, and i've always admired when i was a kid you know I, when i was a kid i used to wear a t-shirt that said free sunny on it when mm. so, yeah yep. um so um uh, i you know i always had my heart was in san francisco probably one of the most beautiful cities in the world always yeah. my favorite city i love going there my daughter went to school up there and i every excuse i could get to go up there <laughs> and those guys riding suicide shift um jockey shift bikes on the, the hills. up the hills yeah. and holding them at you know and the reason the hell's angels blew the stoplights is because they couldn't stop the right. friggin' bikes you know <laughs> that's awesome <laughs> stop sign i can't you know yeah. Yeah. stop yeah. what do you mean stop well we're not going to stop <laughs> you know so 88 of us are going to ride through that you know and that was cool and it was when you were a kid and you saw this group of of hell's angels ride through town it was it was like a, a life-changing, you know, vision that yeah. you see this uh, this organized army just go through. And obviously, some of the nicest guys you, you know, that back then it was, it was party hard, ride motorcycles, have fun. Yeah. And, um, you know, as long as you don't mess with them, there ain't no problem. Sure. You know, if you were going to break down on a highway, oftentimes those guys would be the first to stop and help you. Hmm. So... Uh, now it got corrupted later on. Sure. Uh, but, um, you know, it was, those were magic days back in the sixties and seventies and stuff. Yeah. So, uh, and San Francisco was a magic city. Yeah. So I enjoyed that. It there was, was a lot of stuff going on in San Francisco back then. I mean, oh yeah. The, you know, the hate Ashbury that, yeah. you know, the, a lot of the, you know, the, uh, good music, good motorcycles, yep. uh, good people. Um, it was fun. And I think there was, uh, you know, there's a lot to say, like we spoke about, uh, I think it was the other night we talked about, um, you know, it was a, it seemed like a simpler time mm-hmm. in that, um, law enforcement now, and I'm not, you know, downing on any law enforcement, um, anywhere, but it seems like back then, you know, the stuff that, that you could do as just as an individual, as a citizen of the United States, you could get away with a lot more in that it wasn't as serious 
now, and, and I don't mean that like you couldn't go murder somebody and get away with it. No, no, no. But, you know, running a stop sign wasn't, you know. Uh, oh, running a stop Well, I mean, I can't count the number of times I was so drunk and got pulled over. <laughs> and they said, listen, call a cab, go home, and we'll let you off this time. Yeah. You know, and they would do that kind of stuff. Nowadays, you'd be in jail. Oh, no, you're gone. And they'd find something to pin on you for, you know, you'd However, somehow you'd get a felony. If you were a long hair mm-hmm. riding a motorcycle, um, they had, they enforced little not many people know this but motorcycles in california that were built after 1965 have to have a front fender motorcycles built after uh 71 have to have a front brake hmm. um you know there's all these little iconic or you know, these little niche laws yeah um you know you have to have a rear mirror so the hell's angels had a little tiny dental mirror yeah. it didn't say how big the mirror had to be <laughs> right okay and they said okay you got to have a front fender so they had this little popsicle stick yeah. made out of clear plexiglass <laughs> in between their forks and that was their front fender yeah and it was a constant and it was a really bitching little cat and mouse game between law enforcement and, and, you know, they pulled you over. Oh, uh, I, I think your brake lights burn out. So I pulled you over. Give me all your paperwork. You know, you know it was just yeah. the maximum harassment plan. That's all it was. And hoping probably to catch you on something. Yeah. yeah. And, and write you a ticket, uh, you know, for, uh, oh, you, you know, your horn doesn't work. You know, it's a squeeze horn. Yeah. You know. Um, <laughs> but, you know, it was just, okay, you're going to have to go to court. And you're going to have to have it signed up. Yeah. You know, I can't count the number of times I stuffed steel wool in my exhaust pipe and put a sheet metal screw in there and went to CHP, had them sign it off. And you're leaving in the evening and you see these sparks just showering out <laughs> as that steel awesome. wool is disintegrating, you know, but it was, it was all fun. Yeah. It, you know, it was a, a fun time. Nowadays they'd impound your bike. And oh, it, it's it'd be bad. Yeah. And again, I'm not, you know, bagging on any law enforcement. I'm just saying, uh, I think this country has gotten, um, and this is probably subjects for a whole another podcast, but yeah. there's a lot of things that have that have, have taken some wrong turns in this country. So yeah, well, um, you know, there as soon as the attorneys started to control things, mm-hmm. everything went south. Yeah, um, that was you know, uh, and one time I. When I got out of the army, I went to college. That was a mistake. But anyway, um, I had to take a career advancement course. And the guy was talking about being an attorney, the, the instructor. Hmm. And I'm sitting there in my, my, uh, my you know, Bermuda shorts waiting to go to the beach with my flip-flops on. And I was riding an Yamaha 250 Enduro, which was a pretty decent bike. Mm-hmm. And um, he says, well, what about you? What, you know, what about a career in, in, as an attorney? And I said, no, I, I feel that attorneys are nothing but a pimp of the legal system. <laughs> He says, well, I'm an attorney. I flunked that class, by the way. Yeah, I was going to (laughs) say. Yeah, that didn't work out real well. You know, it's best to shut up if you, you know, when you're not in charge. My condolences, professor. (laughs) Yeah. So, uh, no, I I don't have a lot of love for attorneys. However, there is a need for attorneys. Sure. Especially um, when the laws get more complicated and tricky. Yeah. You got to have someone that can unravel them. Yeah. So, uh, but I just stick with motorcycles and, and, uh, and meeting people and having fun and making friends. And my theory is, as long as you don't screw people, you do good work, you, you know, you, you know, you, you're honest about what you do, the money will find a way. Sure. So, and it's always been that way. I, I don't pay, you know, my wife takes care of all the bills. I don't worry about that. As long as I have food in my stomach and a couple of bucks spending money, you know, in my pocket, Yeah. I'm happy. So. And, you know, and there's. I think there's a lot of truth to that. A lot of people stress about so many things that we don't need to stress about daily. Stress will kill you. Yeah. And it's, if you can find the simplicity in, in kind of your day to day, it's like, you can't control the stuff in the future. Nope. We, we talked about this too. Yes. You can't control what's going to happen in the future and you can't, you can't change what's happened in the past. Nope. So if you, if you're just present in the today, which is a, 
that's an art in and of itself. Oh, I mean, yeah. To be present. To say you can do it is 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 almost a lie. Yeah. You know, uh, you know the the uh, the Eastern philosophy is um, it, you're depressed if you're thinking about yesterday. You're angry if you're thinking about tomorrow, mm-hmm. and you're at peace if you're thinking about today. Yeah. But it's not as easy as as you think. Right. You know, it's, it's much harder to put into practice. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, let's um. First of all. I could listen to stories about uh, the early days, the better days. I hope I my, none of my kids are listening. <laughs> listen, I didn't do any drugs, kids. Right. <laughs> and now it's on record. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I could listen to I could listen to stories for days, and I'm sure everybody else could too. Um, what um, What has been the absolute? This is going to probably get a little heavy, but what? What's the worst experience or worst thing that you've had or that you've had to go through? Um, and how did you come through that? Mm, you're talking about in life or in motorcycle? Yeah, just in life, in life oh, in general. Well, I mean, if it, if it involved a motorcycle, great. But No, my wife almost died a couple mm-hmm. years ago, and it, it bankrupted us financially. And uh, it was a tough thing to go through, but we made it, and it's okay, and it's all over with. And... Yes, we lost a lot of, you know, assets and stuff like that. Sure. But, um, you know, money comes and money goes. And, uh, you know, I look at myself and I think, okay, oh, I used to have this and I used to have that. And and I and then you think about some poor child or, or mother or something in Africa that doesn't even have any food. Right. You're a, you're a multimillionaire compared to that. So, Perspective. Yeah, you know, you really have to. You really have to get your um, perspective in order and yeah. say, no, I am truly blessed with whatever I have. Is so, that Did that help you make it through? I mean, just kind of keep in perspective or was there something um, else that helped you get through that time? The family. Yeah. You know, definitely the family. Uh, the kids were all there that, you know, uh, she had, she had this disease and it was, we had no idea, you know, we, we got a call from the, she went and had a blood test because mm-hmm. she was bruising. She, so the doctor says, oh, you got, you know, day later, the doctor calls up, go to the emergency room. Why? Mm. Well, I, you know, because I said so. Wow. I don't feel bad. And there's nothing wrong. You got to go to the emergency. So we go to the emergency room. Doctor says, oh, you go in this room and wait for us. We go in there and, and they said, you got this disease. And I've never heard of this thing. Right. So I go home and I look it up on the, on the internet. It says, it's a fatal disease. There is no cure. It's fatal. Lord have mercy. And I'm going, that was a tough night. Yeah. So, um, but anyway, um, we found a doctor that said, now there is a chance that this could work. And it did so far, mm-hmm. you know, but life is fatal. So, sure. Um, but uh, anyway, everything's fine. But it's nice to, you know, be able to enjoy life for as long as we can. Oh, yeah. But I mean, we could be sitting here right now having this conversation yeah. and a meteor hit and it's all over for everybody. Sure. So, you know, you only have this very moment. Yeah. You know? I've said that to a couple of people, you know, where I could be sitting here one second interviewing, get up to go to the restroom, have an aneurysm. Done. There you go. It yeah. happens all the time. So it doesn't even make the newspapers anymore. Right. <laughs> right. You never, you Not know. that I would make the newspaper anyway, but <laughs> maybe uh, in my household. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's heavy. Yeah, that is it is. Really heavy thing. Um, but uh, the most important thing I think is to, if you're gonna live, it's a lot more fun to enjoy life. Mm. So my sense of humor is probably my single greatest asset. Um, everything else, all the money, 
you know, I, I could be living under a bridge on, on the aluminum can retirement plan, whatever. <laughs> and as, as long as I have a sense of humor, everything's fine. Yeah. So, and that's it. Uh, that's, that, I, I could be wrong. I could be a total idiot for saying that. No, but, I don't think you know, so. You know, that's, that's the way I'm going to live my life. And I think it's wisdom. I think that, you know, there's a, you mentioned it earlier that there's a lot of people out there who don't have the brothers or the dads or the uncle, you know, in their life helping them. And that also means they don't have wisdom of people who have lived life a little longer than mm-hmm. they have and had experiences that they haven't had and uh, can attest to the fact that, you know, there's a lot of things that you don't need to get your pants in a bunch over. No, you know, no, there really isn't. There's, there's, um, sometimes you have to step back and say, is this really worth getting, you know, I, you know, you get into a fist fight nowadays, you knock a guy down, he hits his head on the ground and, and he dies. Was it worth, you know, now you're up for manslaughter. Now you're going yeah. to jail. You know, it's a life changing thing. Was it really worth it? Right. You know, you have to ask yourself, you, you, you know, sometimes it's better to tell the guy, listen, you're a friggin' idiot. I'm not even going <laughs> to waste my time on you, mm-hmm. and uh, and go on with your life. You know, so it, it's not you know it's not the hill you want to die on, as they used to say in Vietnam. Right. You know, right? Uh, go out there. You know, we're going to take this hill. We're going to give it back. You know, it, so this is not the hill you want to die on. It's not worth it. Um, it's wisdom. What in contrast to the last question? What's been the the best experience? that you've had in life or that life you've... has been good hmm. in my entire life. Um, it's been good. You know, if, if somehow if they had a magical way of downloading your brain hmm. onto a hard drive to see everything you've ever done, that would be great. You know, because you could see that, Hey, this was, this was a blast. If I died today, I have no regrets. Hmm. So, uh, it's been fun. That's pretty awesome. I don't know very many people that could say that. And that's, you know, again, perspective. Mm-hmm. That's pretty awesome. Well, you, you have to learn to, to appreciate what you have. Mm-hmm. You know, there's all, you know, everywhere you look, there's a guy without arms or a guy without legs or a right. guy, you know, um, you know, uh, what was that? There's a saying that goes, uh, a man was crying because he had no shoes until he saw a man that had no legs. Mm. So, you know, you need to look at life as uh, you know find ways to say i am blessed yeah you know and that's it whether it's a motorcycle you know you could have a yamaha and you really want a harley and mm-hmm. you're all down in the dumps about that there's guys out there they don't have a yamaha right so they don't have a motorcycle at exactly all. and i'm not picking on yamaha they're okay right we're jab bikes but <laughs> it's because there's one sitting behind me. i know <laughs> it's okay betsy <laughs> i don't think that's her name my wife would probably change the name in a heartbeat if that was the name of the bike what's your um What's the most favorite motorcycle that you've ever owned? Oh, no. Yeah. Um, that question. <laughs> well, okay, here's the deal. Um, many years ago, um, I used to build Harleys. Mm-hmm. I don't tell people that because I don't want to do that anymore. Sure. Um, and my whole garage, I'd build, I'd build two or three bikes a year, and I'd sell them, and I'd make nice little extra money and everything. And, but my garage was turned into this giant hangaround. On any given Friday night, there was 11 or 12 Harleys parked out front. A whole bunch of guys that are all my friends, and they're all drinking my beer. But um, <laughs> but they're your friends. Well, and, and we lived in this neighborhood for 30 years. We owned mm-hmm. a house in this really nice neighborhood. And the neighbors all tolerated me because I helped them fix everything they needed. Right. And everything. <laughs> you were valuable. But one day my <laughs> wife walked out, and everybody's out there, and it's a big giant party. And this is a typical Friday night, and the kids are running around. And, you know, it was – Yeah. and uh, she says, you know – the neighbors are going to get tired of this one of these days. 
And she goes, something has to change. And I said, yeah, you're right. And so I, I finished doing this bike. And there was an editor for Hot Bike Magazine that was kind of a friend of mine. Mm-hmm. And he says, hey, Tony, what are you going to do now? That You know, what do you, you're done with this bike. What are you going to do now? And I told him, I said, I've got this idea. I want to build a British bike. And he says, what do you mean a British bike? And I said, well, I want a 69 Triumph Bonneville. Mm-hmm. And he says, I've got one. And I said, really? And he says, yeah, I owned it when I, was, I bought it when I was 16 years old. He was like 36 wow. in his early 40s in there. And he says, I've got it. It's in my basement. It's all in boxes. It's in a million pieces. Um, he said, if you'll do it right, I'll, I'll sell you it for nothing. And mm-hmm. I said, you got a deal. And that began. I took that bike home. I had no idea what I was doing with British bikes at all. Never worked on Well, I had one in high school. but um, You had to buy all new tools. Yeah. Metric tools. Yeah. No, they're Whitworth. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> well, I had to buy Whitworth screwdrivers, which uh. are really hard to find. No. Um, <laughs> so I, I took this bike home and I built this bike. And I had this vision in my head that I wanted it to be exactly like this bike. Mm-hmm. And when it was all said and done, it was drop dead gorgeous. And all of a sudden, now my whole world started, you know, oh, here's here's another one. Well, if you can build that here, I want you to fix this. And you want to. Sure. So everything turned into British after that. That's awesome. So uh, that was the beginning of my British bikes right And there. was that your favorite bike? Yeah, it was. Because it's your first. Well, I, what happened was uh, it was an absolutely stunning, gorgeous, drop-dead 69 Bonneville. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm driving it through Pomona Swap Meet, which is a giant uh, antique car, hot rod motorcycle swap meet. Mm-hmm. And I'm puttering around in there, you know, all proud and everything. And there was this guy running after me, running alongside of me, saying, "Stop, stop, stop, stop!" And I thought, "What? Do I, what do I do? You know, right? Is, you know, is this thing on fire or what?" <laughs> he says, "I got to buy this bike from you." And he, he could hardly speak because he's been chasing me for about you know, hundred yards. <laughs> he says, "I got to buy this bike." And I said, "Well, I, I just finished it. It's not for sale." He says, "I know that." He goes, "Here's my card. If you ever sell it, I want you to call me." Wow. And so, like two or three years later, and and probably ten other British bikes later. I'm going, you know, I hardly ever ride the Bonneville anymore. I got all these other bikes. I'm going to go sell it. And I thought, you know what? I got this card. And I called the guy and I said, do you still want the bike? He was there the next day with a cashier's wow. check. And he said, just tell me how much to make the check out for. And I said, make it out for 10 grand. He was there the next day. Wow. That is awesome. Yeah. It was, I still miss that bike. Though. Yeah. So. I've made this, I've made this promise to myself that no matter what happens, the, I know it's a newer bike, but the 2003, I'm never going to sell it. <laughs> so we'll see how well never I do. Never say never. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> the thing, I think the thing I have going for me is that it's not really worth anything. I mean, other than, you know, it's, it's face value. It's worth a lot to me. Oh, yeah. So, you know, but then again, that could change 30 years down the line. Someone well, goes, yeah, I want that vintage 2003. A, all, all, all wealth has a relative worth. Right. You know, that bike is an absolutely stunning, gorgeous, bitchin' bike. It, what's it worth? Eight ten grand? I think so. Yeah. Okay, eight or ten thousand dollars to a broke ass dude is is the end of the world. You sure. know, so yeah. you may say it's not worth anything to him. It's his. It's the dream come true. True. So, you know, it's it's a pesky perspective again. Yes, it Damn. is. <laughs> Tony, it has been an absolute pleasure speaking with you. <laughs> yeah. um, I want to thank you for being on the show. And also I'd love to, um, to promote your, you have a website for the shop, don't you? Yes. It's classiccyclesinc.com. Okay. And then we have Instagram, which is classic cycles, Inc on Instagram. Okay. So, uh, but Inc is incorporated. Um, we did that so nobody would sue my ass, but <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, uh, and we'll put the links also up on the, uh, when this 
when this goes, when, when you're listening to this podcast, you also find the links within the, uh, the, the article. So, um, anything you want to leave our, our guests with wisdom? No, uh, just, you know, like I said, uh, try to enjoy life. Um, motorcycles, family, it's all one thing. Try mm-hmm. to enjoy everything. All is, you know, it's a complete, uh, is a complete circle. So it's awesome. And there you heard it. Mr. Tony Dunn from Classic Cycles, Inc. in Orange, California. Thank uh, you. you can come visit if you're ever out in, in uh, California. Come visit him and say hi. And uh, tell him you heard him on, on the podcast. Thank you for having me. Let me tell you my story. Nobody went that way. Yeah. No, they always come in off Chapman. Hmm. Come through Orange. Yeah. Get our escort through town. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> they didn't want to stop nowhere. <laughs> when you when you rolled through, who were you riding with back then? When you rolled through, black and white and red and white. Yeah, just anybody. I mean, yeah, I didn't. I never was a, a prospect or never had any desire to be a patch holder. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, I knew all those people anyway. Why do I need to be one of them? Right. You know, I mean, I, I was one of them anyway. <laughs> Hell, red and white raised me. Hmm. But uh, what was that like? I mean, knowing you know, knowing so many club members. I mean, was you, you see this? There's obviously a lot of shows on TV about you know motorcycle clubs and everything from Sons of Anarchy to like these really terrible, you know, scripted, quote unquote, reality shows about uh, clubs. And um, I think you've seen some of Sons of Anarchy. Yeah, a little bit. What, what do you think? I mean, comparably. Do you think that, uh, from your experience, is that what it's like being around a club? I mean, is the club just... No. They were all for one and one for all. Yeah. Um, biggest family I ever had. Hmm. Um, nobody ever messed with them. Um, they didn't go around starting trouble, looking for trouble, but if you wanted to get some... Yeah. There, there was plenty there. Sure. I mean, um, yeah, you haul off a smack one of them, you have the whole freaking club on you. <laughs> <laughs> you know?